Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and our guest today is young adult author Mary H.K. Choi. Mary joins us to talk about her latest book, Yoke. We also talk about writing and living in New York City, disordered eating and the path toward healing, and crushes. And I have to confess, Mary is one of my many crushes, and as you'll hear in this episode, she completely lives up to the hype. The Stacks Book Club pick for March is Everybody Looking by Candice Elo, and we will discuss the book in detail on Wednesday, March 31st with Nick Stone. I want to quickly thank the newest members of the Stacks Pack. The Stacks Pack are the folks who support the work of this show over on our Patreon page. Their monthly contributions make the show possible, and it is their funds that allow me to create this show, and I am forever grateful. When you join the Stacks Pack, you also earn perks like discounts on merch and access to our monthly book club. So to join, head to patreon.com slash the Stacks. And this week, I'm giving a special thank you to Liz Hine, Rebecca Loosely, Nicole Wilson, Christina Kay, Melissa Peckover, Emily Faye Burquist, Simone, Ashley Alamayehu, Alex, and Casey Hollis. I am truly running out of ways to express my gratitude to all of you, but thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, now it's time to talk with Mary H.K. Choi. And before you fall in love with her, just know she was my crush first. Everybody, I am very excited. I am here today with Mary H.K. Choi, author of three novels, but her most recent one is called Yoke. It came out this month in March. Mary, welcome to the stacks. Hi, yay. I'm happy. (laughs) I'm so happy too. I'm so happy too. Okay, we always start here, which is in about 30 seconds or so. Will you just tell us about Yoke? Okay, so Yoke. It's kind of funny because like people will be like, it's the book about sisters and one of them gets sick and it's like a health insurance thing and they change identities. But it's also really about what happens when you reinvent yourself and you move to a new place and you're so excited and maybe it's not going that well. And just people who like know you know you just interfere with that and all the attendant feelings. It's about intimacy and how hard it is to ask for help, especially when you are coming of age, so to speak. Mm. And it's about just love and how love sometimes when you're inside of it doesn't feel like what's been advertised. That is so exactly right on exactly what the book is. I just loved Yoke. I am 
I am a person who does not love fiction generally. And I oftentimes feel like YA does not speak to my soul, but Yoke and, and all of your stuff is just like my jam. I just love it. It's like a hug. It's like, I, we can, I mean, we're going to talk all about it, but this book is, if you're feeling at all sort of icky right now with all that's going on in the world and life and just it's an easy time to feel icky i read yoke almost exclusively in my bathtub and i just every time i think about it i feel warm like i just love it um the book takes place mostly in new york city and you live in new york right i do yeah i I hella live in new york (laughs) but you used to live in la for a little bit right I did live in LA. I lived in LA for two years. And the tricky thing with that is that I moved without telling anyone. And then I moved back without telling anyone, which <laughs> so like both ways, it was kind of like a soft launch. Yeah. Except yeah. all that it successfully did was just confuse everyone, yeah. which is actually convenient because I have like horrible social anxiety. And so people are just like, but you're not here. And I'm like, perhaps this is true. Yes. You don't um, know where I am. And it's none of your you don't business. Know where I am. <laughs> also now in, in panty times, I'm just like, I regret, I regret, I miss people. <laughs> Hold oh my me. God. But, I miss people yeah. so much. Your book made me miss people so much. Um, oh, but man. you write New York City better than anyone I can think of. Like truly your writing of I lived there for eight years and the way that you write about New York is just so it you just capture the feeling of being in New York and being young in New York so I'm wondering how you sort of do that like what are how do you how do you write about New York because everyone tries and everyone fails but you (laughs) thank you I'll take it um well (laughs) I think to write about New York it's like you know first of all living here takes a kind of, um, I don't know, like I was about to say predilection. It's just or gumption or like high threshold for ambient abuse. Like I have no idea, but (laughs) you have to love it in this like pretty singular way. And, and I don't say that you have to love it to write about it. It's more that like, if you're addicted to it in a very specific way, um, New York reveals itself to you in these like very private layers where everything sort of like almost feels like a glitch in the matrix. Like there is like such a specific rhythm to New York and it's so largely indifferent to your agenda or your own personal rhythm and just finding surrender in that and finding true humor in that I think helps. Um, yeah, I, I can't say anything other than like, I just have this like very specific Stockholm syndrome type true infatuation with my captor. Mm. And I don't know, it just makes me laugh. Like I love, you know, just like little things that I've experienced. Like I remember I got a nosebleed once on the subway and I was mortified. But in that moment, I was just like, oh, wow, like I've puked in public, had to pee in public. I fainted in public. I got really sick this one time. I've like passed out in like public places, but you know, just, and and that makes me sound like it's nothing more than you're just outside a lot and inconvenienced and in transit so much that the normal things that happen in your life, like hopefully in your own house just tends to happen like on the subway. And this woman sitting next to me just handed her like kind of slightly sodden brown Starbucks napkin that she was holding around her cup because as you know like all of those cups leak and she just handed me that unit and I was like so grateful and she said nothing 
She barely looked at me. And it was so like that moment. And like similarly, I remember I was like really, really heartbroken and I was walking in the streets. I was in Midtown, a place where I'm rarely, it was freezing cold. I'm just like cold, but then also my face is wet because I'm crying. And I lock eyes with someone and they're also crying. (laughs) And it's so it's like New York is like that, you know? And I just, I just find it really funny the types of stories that you get when everyone's mashed together with very finite resources and everyone's just sort of scrabbling around to do their best. Yeah, that's so, I mean, it's like your whole, your whole life is exposed in New York. Like you have to be out in the world. I, I always tell people I never understood the phrase like pounding the pavement until I left <laughs> New York. And I realized like, oh my gosh, you really are just lugging your whole life around every day. You leave at like 7 a.m. You don't get home till 2 a.m. because you go out. You have like six changes of outfits. I was an actor when I lived there. So I was auditioning. You had to have like your makeup and your heels and like the whole thing. And oh it's like God. in LA, it's like I just drive home in between things and I, you know, change when I get home and like I just life is so different here and and where I grew up in the Bay Area like it's so different and in New York you're just like constantly going and there's that adrenaline of life in New York and I just it's captured so well in your books Um, the other thing you capture so well that I am deeply passionate about is food and snacks are you just like a snack person or, or is that where we're kindred spirits I feel like snacks are like my best friend. Like I think about snacks all the time and I'm like, oh, snacks, I love you. You really take care of me. And like I too want to take care of you. And what that means for me is like knowing the lay of the land for like every deli, every bodega, like every like, you know, specialty food store in like a far flung borough, you know, Mm -hmm. like one thing that happened, um, during the pandemic is that I got a car for the first time in 18 years in New York. And so suddenly I'm just like, oh yeah, I just get all my spices from Bay Ridge. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) that just sounds like so privileged or like, I'm like, yeah, Queens, not as far as you thought. And then I'm just like out and flushing, like eating food and eating snacks. And, you know, it's been kind of a beautiful thing because I um, had an eating disorder. I actually know that's actually the wrong way to describe it. I have an eating disorder. Um, I was bulimic for a really, really long time. And then I thought I was cured because I was no longer um, purging. And like the binges got less, less violent and like more infrequent. But then what happened was I realized over time that like kind of had traded in that eating disorder for another. So like I wasn't purging, but I was like, exercise bulimic where Mm. everything I ate or if I felt like I had eaten too much, then I had to sort of like do penance or like this like punitive measure of then going and doing like a truly strange amount of cardio. Right. And, and then I had orthorexia, which like is that thing where you're like, oh, like if I eat a ratio of this or like I'm paleo now or like I'm vegan now. And this isn't at all to like denigrate any of those lifestyle choices if they make sense for you. But for me, there it was always incentivized by this notion. And to me, this I think this is the bedrock of having an eating disorder. You really genuinely believe that if you were smaller or looked different, that, and for me, like if I was like thinner, that people would treat me differently and my life would be totally, totally transformed. And the really sad part of that is like, I loved food so much 
like genuinely. And part of it was that it was my first and favorite drug. Like I, you know, I'm so sensitive. And I think part of the discomfort around having like normal actual feelings was like so intolerable for me mm. that I was constantly chewing from the time I was a young person. That didn't super work for me as a coping mechanism as I got older and as it turned into kind of an addiction of like the obsession around eating or not eating. And it's only been in the last few years that my love of food and my truly, truly encyclopedic knowledge <laughs> of all international snacks came back into my life in like a really beautiful and abundant way where like food just wasn't a moral issue anymore. Like nothing was like, oh, I'm treating myself. It's just like, oh my God, you like this and it's here. <laughs> Can I ask how that switch happened for you or what what it was that made you be able to change your relationship with food in that way? Because I think that that's really hard for a lot of people, like that it's always, there's always that fight there. So I'm just curious if that's not too personal. No, I mean, nothing is too personal. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. So for some people, they don't like to talk, get too personal. No, and and that's, I, and we talk about books here. So I always feel like if I get too personal, it's like, that's like, mind your business, lady. <laughs> no, but it's so funny because I think there's something really particular to pandemic, the way like all of our dispatches into the world and our like conversations can happen like in this like almost bottleneck. And mm -hmm. so it's like, there's no small talk. It's just like, we've been hypervigilant <laughs> against like a pandemic for so long that it really is just like, so what is terrorizing you today yeah. versus like, Hey, read a good book lately or whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, I feel totally fine about that. And thank you so much for asking in advance, but um, it wasn't a switch. Like I wish, like I have such an addict brain. And for me, that just means that I turn to outside things to, to like, assuage inside problems mm. and for me every problem is because i have a feeling like okay. i'm just like oh no like what is this and i'm like oh you're happy a good thing happened and you think that some someone's going to take it away or like right. i'm like oh no what's happening and i'm just like oh you're cold it is winter time right. and so there's just like every single time i have a feeling like in the past it'd be like you should get drunk or you should get high, or you should you should go talk to that person that you inwardly kind of hate, but they have this like sheen of charisma and possibly power. Go interface with that person. Right. You know, like I would always do these things, or like eat or not eat or exercise and 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 stuff like that. So what happened is that like actually as emergency contact was coming out, I was like, oh, okay. So you know, I'd been writing for a while, and at that point, I'd also done some like. TV stuff, like producing mostly like occasional on camera work. And I was like, hey, buddy, like this is your like private treasure. Like you've wanted to write a novel your entire life and for your whole life up until your mid 30s, you thought you weren't allowed hmm. and you were waiting for someone to give you permission. And so this feels wildly unsolicited. And it's like your entire viscera plus heart. Hmm. Putting this out there and letting everybody sort of make a value judgment on it and tell you if they like it or don't like it in every public forum <laughs> might be hard for you. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, no. And so at that point, I was seeing a therapist, but I, I switched therapist to one I like because prior to that, I, I, would, <laughs> I didn't know that I was allowed to have a therapist I liked. I was just like, this one's okay. Like, right. <laughs> 
Oh, no. It's the one I know, you know? And so I got one I liked, and that was really um, game-changing. But what I actually did is I went to a 12-step program. Hmm. And there are 12-step programs for literally everything, and I didn't know that. And a friend of mine who is um, an alcoholic was telling me about, like, the type of sort of interrogative work that happens when you do, like, the 12 steps. I was just like, I didn't even know that the steps were real. I thought it was just, like... (laughs) You know, the the name of something when something's just like, I don't know, Marble Arch, or that's actually a real place. But you know what I mean? Yeah, where you're, yeah, you're yeah, just yeah. like, Sunrise Grove. You're like, these, it's an right. apartment complex. So I right. was like, I didn't know the steps were real. And yeah, so that's what I did. I joined the one for eating disorders. And then I, I, I recently joined another one during pandemic because my parents got sick as I was, well, my mom um, was diagnosed with cancer as I was writing this book about oh cancer. And then I was like... That was just like really a lot. And so I joined another one about like how to just be an adult in the world. Hmm. And, you know, that's been really great for me, like being able to talk to people. And I'm not condoning or co-signing anything specifically, like whatever you do, like just is going to be right for you. And that's totally cool. But like for me, it was really helpful to just just I don't know, talk to people who like are just like, well, you know, when I was believe or like you know, my bulimia looked like this or like, I didn't know this was bulimia or like, you know, like bulimia is cool and like purging is cool. But have you ever tried like addiction to laxatives? That is so gnarly. (laughs) And so, you know, and it was, I don't know, it was, there was something so, such a relief, Mm. you know, and I think that that there is something so incredible about there's, you know, the other thing about like, people who are in like 12 step programs, they're always into like aphorisms or like slogans. And that whole thing of like, you're only sick as your secrets is so true. Like every time I said out loud, something that I was so ashamed of, it was like putting down the biggest backpack, Hmm. you know, like, and I didn't know I was carrying like 12 backpacks on top of like the luggage sized handbag that you need (laughs) in New York to be in the world. Right. And and so now, like, I can talk about it without thinking about it. And I know it applies to me, but it also just applies to a version of me that is working so hard to just be nicer hmm. to myself. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of the time, like, my life is led as if I'm being, like, chased by dogs. And, like, what that feels like is that my brain just doesn't want to ever wait for my body. Hmm. And my body is just a nuisance. I'm like, ugh, really? You need to pee or like you're thirsty or like you need to eat. Like, I'm just like, get with the program. Let's do this. And that just doesn't work for me anymore. And being nice to myself is really time consuming. Hmm. And, but that's the other thing. It's like, we're creators. Right. And like, we're artists and we're always super incentivized to be gentle and be open to other things. If all I'm doing all day is like pounding the pavement with this like one specific timetable where I'm literally like late for every single thing on a deadline that I made up all by myself. Like Hmm. when are you receiving any transmissions about like the type of work that you want to create? Like that's what I'm here for. I'm just down to be the most dilated. I'm down to have the most 
bars <laughs> for signal for whatever that place is. And right. so for me, in order to do that, like I need to talk about the things that I carry and I need to talk about the things that I'm reluctant to talk about so that I can be more honest with my work, even though I feel totally terrorized by it. Well, it's so interesting that you say that because one of the big themes and one of the big sort of topics in Yoke, which at least something that I took away, was this, uh, the difficulty in talking about the things that we carry, uh, even among family or especially among family in some cases, um, and that there's sort of a, I think, I think in this book specifically, Korean families, that there is this pressure to be perfect, even among our most intimate relatives or loved ones. And so I guess I'm wondering, was it hard for you to write about that sort of stuff, to write about that sense of shame or the feelings of needing to keep things secret? Because, you know, that's a super public way of talking about this. Like putting something in a book, it lasts in the book forever. You can't really take it back. It's not like you can delete a tweet, you know, like, oh, shit, I didn't mean to say that. So how do you, how did you negotiate that? And how do you continue to sort of feel comfortable and talking about that sort of stuff on the page? I mean, I guess like, one, it's fiction, which helps, right? right. Like there's a little bit of fudging that I can do, I think, mentally. Right, right, um, right. The other thing, and I'll just be totally honest, is that my parents don't speak English. Mm. And there is a huge buffer of, like, reassurance and, like, relief that none of my books have been translated into Korean yet. Would you let them be translated into Korean? I would love that more okay. than anything. Um, fun, it's a funny story that I talk about all the time. But one time I was asking my dad if he bought Emergency Contact yet because I was like, it's my first book. It's out in Bar actual Barnes and Noble. <laughs> like, like you can you can see it in a store that you would go to. You can see it at the mall. Dad, I'm at the mall. <laughs> and he was like, I didn't find it. And um, but then he showed me a copy of Pachinko. He's like, I heard this was really good, though. <laughs> and I was like, Dad, <laughs> why are you treating me like a white man insofar as being like, this is also by a Korean, like, Asian lady author. But, you know, th that is part of it. But to be honest, like, my parents can read it and they can feel their feelings. And that's totally none of my business, hmm. you know, because... I can't control what they're going to feel. I can't control what anybody's going to feel. And I I have to talk about this. I mean, the, the truth is, like, I am 40. I'm, like, in my 40s. And the reason why I talk to young people is because I'm like, hey, I really struggled with a lot of different things in my life that I felt like I couldn't talk about. And, you know, I kind of liken it to being like a little um, lighthouse hmm. or like a rec center with a light on that's like a porch light on for you at all times, because it is really hard to talk to your family. And I do think as a children of immigrants, this is something I totally experience. And I do this to myself, which is really interesting. In immigrant families, it's such a priority for the parents to have moved to a new place for a reason. And largely, that's like a type of security. And largely, it's a type of security that is completely translatable regardless of the culture. And for for my family, that really, the, the absolute cornerstone of that was financial security. Mm. And 
So they worked a lot and they worked in the hospitality industry as a lot of people do. They, they worked in the service industry. They worked in restaurants. And th those are a lot of really late nights and they weren't around a lot. And I really struggle with workaholism in that I sometimes, depending on the mood, I only feel safe when I'm working almost fanatically. And it, it's kind of like my head goes to the same place as it does when I'm like really doom scrolling or really <laughs> binging on Instagram where it's like my eyes roll back in my head and it's like I'm just feeding, right? Mm -hmm. And I can get that around work and numb out and kind of black out. And like I'm not saying that that's what happened to them, but like there was just not a lot of time for us to talk to each other and there wasn't a lot of time for parenting and love and mutuality and like help or teaching to be modeled for me. Hmm. And so that's, that is a real thing that I feel. And like, I don't, it's not an indictment towards the way that they raised us, but it is really hard to talk to them. Plus there's a language barrier. Like I speak and think in English. I occasionally dream in Korean, but hmm. they speak and feel in Korean. And not only that, they left their home in the late 70s or like 80, right? And like, that was just a different Korea. Like everyone's just like, hey, like, you know, like whatever, like BTS, like mm -hmm. face masks, whatever, Korea, <laughs> Korea, Korea is so great. Your internet is so fast, like da, 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 da. And all these things are true, but like Korea back then was a really different place. Like prior to the 88 Olympics, Korea was different. And there is an aspect to my parents where they're trapped in amber. Hmm you know, at for that time, like a funny sort of or interesting sort of parallel is that um, there is a friend of my partner's whose wife is Russian and they were hanging out in like Brighton Beach, that like predominantly Russian neighborhood in Brooklyn. And they were saying like, it's so weird. Like everyone here feels kind of 80s. Hmm. Like this, this isn't what Russia, like anywhere feels like now. Like this is so 80s. And so my parents kind of are that. And so a lot of their sort of social mores and stuff like that are, t are, are stuck there. Hmm. And because of like Korean collectivism, there's, there's a lot of just like clannishness about like, you know, like Cosa Nostra type stuff where it's like, these are our issues. Don't right. air out the dirty laundry, like da, 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 da. And that secrecy didn't work for me and it really started becoming very corrosive within and i need to exorcise that and by doing that model for other people that they can also have the same and so that whatever their feelings are towards it respectfully i can sort of hold space to listen but mm. beyond that it's just nothing that i can do anything about right do you, you said that that's part of the reason you write for young people so that they see that there is another way or sort of like showing them the things maybe that you wish that you knew when you were younger, perhaps. And I'm wondering if, like, how do you approach speaking, writing to younger folks? Like how, like, is there a mindset that you're able to get yourself into? Like, how do you know that you're you're cool enough to talk to kids. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I can't talk to kids. They're like, you're an old weirdo. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, it's like, I think the trick is to never, ever think that you're like, you know, it's not a sting operation. Right. I'm not rocking up to these people <laughs> being like, you know, like, hey, like, here's like a TikTok meme. It's like, right. I'm like, hey, I'm really old. I'm totally washed. It's yeah. <laughs> completely fine. I'm like so old that I don't even know if like washed is still being used. And like, and, but 
I don't do anything differently. Like there's, there's been times in like previous interviews where people are like, Hey, like, how do you sort of like text for teens and like write that? And I'm just like, I just text like an old ass person because this, the only thing that I know about young people is because they're inundated with a lot of information that their, um, sort of like culture mutation patterns are so rapid and nothing that I can ever foresee or gauge or like pinpoint. And so I I can't worry about that. And I just really talk to young people as I would any super, super sensitive and like self-aware to the point of slight self-consciousness people. Mm-hmm. And that's all I do. Like I write a very specific type of book. It's not everybody's cup of tea. And I completely think that's so valid. I don't think that if I had, if I didn't have any like people who hated my work, I just, I feel like there's a correlation between how ardently someone who does love my work, like truly loves it. Mm. But like, yeah, young people are really cool. Yeah. But they're also like very aware of their vulnerabilities and like when they are hurting and like their emotions and when things are too overwhelming. And so I really just talk to young people as I would any adult who I respect enough to believe that they're they're sensitive and actually listening to me. Because like adults are so like or like even adult is such a funny concept, but like, (laughs) you know, any sort of delineation between like, oh, and now you're here in your life right. and you've graduated that part of your life is just so funny to me. But yeah, just I talk to young people as if they're actually listening. Right. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and 
starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Is there any interest for you to write fiction for quote unquote adults? I mean, I feel like your I feel like your books for young folks are actually also for adults, but is there any interest to write something that is marketed towards adults, I guess is probably the way to say it. Oh, totally. In fact, I am doing a book that was announced, I think, last year, even like last year as a year. I'm just like, when was that? <laughs> no one can say. <laughs> like, what were there months last yeah, year? No. Um, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's called Milk Teeth and it is for older people, except it's this funny thing where like a lot of people are like, well, how did you decide to write YA? And a little bit, if I'm being genuine, is I'm just like, I decided to write YA like I don't think I did I just read wrote this book and it was like centered around like this demographic and that was just what it was but like I do think that there is this interesting thing where I'm just like it feels arbitrary to me that some things are um you know categorized or taxonomized as being like literary fiction except right. the people are 18 and other things are I mean, I think it has a lot to do with like maybe the themes in the books. Mm -hmm. And so I am writing something about a mother and daughter, but it is being categorized as adult, which again makes me laugh because it's like, what is this like going to be on like Pornhub? Right. But, um, <laughs> right. I'm just like, it's so, I don't know. But, and the reason why I think that is um, designated as an adult book is there are themes in it that are just really real. Like the mom has a lot of issues and jealousy issues towards the daughter. And I do think a whole book marketed for teens where it's just like too much of that could, mm -hmm. I don't know. I think teens are capable of everything though. Like, yeah. I don't know. Right. To, to answer your question, like I am doing a book that is categorized as adult, but I don't super understand what differentiates any of the work that I do. Right. And probably also now that you have written three books that have been like marketed towards young people, those young people, if they like you, they're going to read your adult stuff. Like I read adult books when I was a young person. I mean, we didn't really oh, have totally. YA either. Like I don't remember like my teachers saying like Lord of the Flies, a YA classic, yeah, you know, but like totally. that, that book would have been YA and probably To Kill a Mockingbird is YA, totally, you know? Totally. But we just didn't have that. Nobody called it that. Like, I mean, nobody called Judy Bloom books YA, right? Or you know like I mean? Roald Dahl middle grade. Like, it was just like Roald... kids books or like books totally. you read as a kid. I don't. Oh my know. god, I love Roald Dahl. But the, right, you're just like Roald Dahl is middle grade, except boy is YA, and then yeah. you're just like, but is it? I don't know. Like, I don't yeah, know the it's... difference. I don't understand it. I only have come to really learn about it since I started this podcast that there is like real delineation, and that like editors have opinions and they make these decisions but i had no idea before that 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 existed 
I will say, though, that having been in YA, basically, I mean, this is totally anecdotal and not even comparative because <laughs> I, I have not been an adult. But, like, I love the people who work in YA. Mm. Like, that is a thing. Like, everybody is, like, the most voracious reader. Mm. And they are so nurturing and they're so kind and they're real they all know each other and the authors too it's so supportive like mm. there isn't this sense of like zero sum the fact right. that there's all these genres within and like it's just so freaking nice mm. like some of the authors that i've met just even like collegial like you know, are they my friend friend or are we just, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. whatever. It's like they're just so – it's the nicest freaking industry that I personally have worked in. But then again, I come from media and music, so I don't know where the bar is on that. But, right, because that's like a um, notoriously it, not nice industry. <laughs> I, it was very specific, let's just say. And I, I briefly dabbled in fashion and that, that Another, also has adjectives. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there are adjectives. Lots yeah. of adjectives. That's so funny. Yeah, I am curious. Okay, so this is novel three. And I'm curious how you feel differently about putting this third book into the world um, and the ways that you're trying to tell stories now versus when you put that first book into the world or like, are there things that are important to you now that maybe weren't important to you then knowing what you know, growing how you've grown, that sort of stuff? I think it's so generous that it th this question is being... Um framed as like a shifting of priorities i think the priorities have always been the same because like i'm just like i just want to write a good book that people <laughs> like but then i i think that hopefully like i'm learning more about how to do that hmm. like you know emergency contact was in the the third person flipping povs and that was what was available to me at the time and you know like i didn't like i didn't know that I didn't super know that you were allowed to do other things. Like I know that, and that, that's just, and like each time I'm like, Oh, like other people can do this or like, Oh, I can just write from the entire POV of this other person in first person rad. I'll try that. Or like, you know, there's so many things that I'm trying and it just so happens that it's public. And then I have to like have that one effort, you know, be my entire like output for a year and a half, mm. two years, right. you know, it's like, it's just really public, but yeah, I'm basically just learning. And I do think that for this book, there was some priority and I'm just like, you know what? People have been saying kind of accurately for a while that you just, that plot isn't a thing that has necessarily been done by you. <laughs> I'm like, this is a fair assessment, you know? <laughs> Like the, when the first book came out, everyone's just like, I can't believe that something only happens towards the end of the th something. And I'm just like, you know, that's that's a fair assessment. I mean, it's the book that I wanted to write and it was the book that came to me. And I love that book so much. Um, and then for the second one, it's just like it's funny. It's like it could be so fantastic. Right. Like Permanent Record is all about this like very, very famous person who who like falls in love with a very, very unfamous person and these worlds colliding. And it could be like, it could have anything. It could have a car chase. It right. could have like all this stuff or like, you know, like um, reputation ruined, like right. whatever. And I just made it this really tiny version of that story because that's the kind of thing that I love. Like I, 
I like basically write mumblecore novels, <laughs> you know, where like it's like, oh, yeah, they went to go get this thing. And that's what happens in the movie. Right. Or, you know, and so like I've always said that if Mark Ruffalo can't just slay you in a kitchen scene, <laughs> that isn't the type of like novel vibe that I want to be in. And so with Yoke, too, like it's all about interiority. It's all about like small things. And I just want to keep getting a little bit better about like how to say that while having a plot that doesn't run away with everything or steal the show. And, but Yoke was the hardest book I've ever written. Like there are three different versions of Yoke. Wow. The first one is first person flipping POVs. And I, there's two thirds of that version written. (laughs) There are, there's just so there's, you know, there's just so many different things where I could not make a decision until way later, until I really knew these girls. Right. And I've like, I've never had a print to like write ratio as like devastating as I did on this book. Like (laughs) this book was hard. And then when my mom got sick, as I was like finishing it, it became it became like really intolerable to sit in in this book. Hmm. You yeah. know, like I don't know, there's something about knowing that I could have this book end the way I wanted it to and that I couldn't rest that kind of like control over what would happen with my mom was just awful and there was just this thing of like I don't know, just for a while I was just like, well, who do I even like even like writing the dedication page right I was just like you already dedicated a book to your mom I was just and then it was just like well what if she dies and then you don't dedicate you know it's like that was like a decision that I was just like I don't know how to make this decision or like the acknowledgments page or like just every single thing I was just like I just got into this headspace and I think it's just anxiety in the way my brain is where I was just like what you do and don't do and say and don't say will somehow dictate whether your mom is going to live or die like it just got really dark and like mental healthy Mm. and and so that was super freaking hard and so the when I did the last round of edits I was I was just like a mess I was like hollowed completely out and now that you're done with the book now that it's you know about to be in the world do you feel differently about that or do you I don't know I just wonder like again it's like you put you you create you work hard on your craft on your artistry on creating these stories on creating these people and that intersects with your own life and your own family and then one day it's like okay no more edits we're done here it is but like does that feel <laughs> like something like what is what are you reckoning with now knowing that it's about to hit the world i mean it is just really weird it's weird (laughs) well because there's so many things about this book release that isn't anything like i've experienced before like i don't know about you but this is my first pandemic you know like this is my first shelter in place that is now going on a full year like i had this notion about what the world would be like when this book came out like and i there was you know it was really scary because i think for a full month I was like, are you even allowed to have these guys like make out with 
each other in a public place. Like I was so triggered by even their like wanton actions where I'm like, ew, don't touch that. <laughs> Just wash your hands, sing happy birthday twice. Like what is happening? Um, and, you know, but... And to be honest, it was just a very real thing that the last administration was the most harrowing, like, like mind numbing and soul destroying experience that was just bludgeoning any chance I had at like happiness or like satisfaction for so long. And there was a part of me that was just like, okay, well, this book is coming out after the election, like that's forever away Mm -hmm. you know like at any point last year the election felt like a thousand years away and then the inauguration felt like a thousand years away and so there was a part of me that was just like well yoke isn't coming out until you know 30 14 you're fine (laughs) don't think about it and then i was in the shower the other day like fml shower thoughts where like my brain was like do 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 and then i was like holy shit your book is coming out in 50 days oh my god like it's coming out at the top of march you know that february isn't a real thing (laughs) like this is just tomorrow like what is happening and and so that feels super wild and i'm really scared like i don't know like i've been talking to my team and this is fascinating but like no one can really call what the book trends will be right like i know that it's a good thing that i do have like more of a built-in audience at this point mm-hmm. hopefully anything i say about anything feels so unlucky but and you know there were just like first-time authors either struggle or do like incredibly well, well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's like they don't know and, and they're like you know just like Books that are in like paperback that happen to strike a particular chord are doing well, and there's no way for us to call call what that will be like. Right. Um, and so it's really scary. I'm really scared of book tour because I'm like, is this a thing? IDK like um, shrug. But you know, I also just have to trust that it's going to be fine because the truth is I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so nothing I do can or cannot like sway things right. because I don't know. I just do not have the data, but it's really scary. I hope that people will pre-order this. I don't know if people are in the mood to read read a story just quite like this. And it's funny because it's being sort of touted as this like kind of like intense book. And I actually think there's a a lot of parts in it that are actually extremely lighthearted and yeah. kind of silly and like I funny. I think it's and that like... intense. I mean, there's definitely intensity, but I would not describe it like that. You write crushes better than anyone also on the face of the earth. Like the feeling of like having a crush, like, and I jokingly refer to myself as queen of the crush. Like I always have a crush, even though I've been married for five years and been with my partner for 10. I just love a crush. I always have a crush. And I love a crush. I love a crush. Oh my God. Imagine not having a crush on someone. Sometimes it's even my partner, but sometimes it's not, you know, sometimes it's Jason Reynolds. It's fine. <laughs> no, totally. Also, Jason Reynolds is the best. Like he's the perfect crush. Every he, I mean, he listens to this podcast, and I always jokingly um will like DM him and be like, "I hope that I didn't embarrass myself too much this week by talking about how much I love you, and I hope you have a nice day. Thank you very much." <laughs> because like Jason Reynolds's energy is like incandescent, yes. and he smells like, great. He smells so, so good. Every- <laughs> But also, like, his clothes, even, yes. oh, my God. His ragged bone be... jeans and just everything. Like, the break of his pants, everything. And then just, like, and then, ugh, 
when he loves like, his orated. mom. Yeah, he loves his mom. His voice is incredible, and he writes books Have for children. Have you seen his apartment? I've seen it like in pictures, in not in fo- person. No, only in photos. <laughs> I haven't seen it in, per- per- in no. Like but I'm, I'm a full on lurker stalker. Like, I would I've never definitely seen it in person. break pandemic protocol, Jason. If you wanted to have me over to visit or anything, <laughs> but like no, otherwise just pictures. It's so beautiful. The yellow it's wall so beautiful. and like I know, but it's it's beautiful, but it's like surprising, right? Yes, it totally. It's, is. It's, it's just like I'm just like this much color. Yeah, like and the it's art. so it's. It's advanced. Yeah. It's not just like the most like putty colored nice thing. Not to say that he would have ever gotten a putty colored whatever, but it's like it's so particular mm-hmm. to him mm-hmm. that yeah, I mean that's a crush. And so which is you know, to your point, like there's a guy in, in Yoke who is so swoony, but it's it's funny because like it's it's such a New York crush mm-hmm. that like Jane's just like can't get over his apartment, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's like the real estate, the location, like his furniture, this his his art on the wall, like his books, like and that to me like is the perfect encapsulation of what is so joyful and so given freely about a crush. Mm-hmm. Like you know, and maybe this is a product of the fact that I also have a partner and I've been married for a while, but it's like I don't need anything back from you. I just <laughs> adore yeah. your brain i just or love like, you <laughs> i just love you like and and i'm like grateful like thank you for existing a thousand like, percent yeah and there's so many people like that and it's so regardless of gender it's so regardless of age mm-hmm. it's just like i'm like oh, my soul mm-hmm. loves your soul yeah like i just, just vibe with you it. like uh, yes, yes it's so true another totally. another one of my crushes like that who also is someone that you know is Jenna Wortham. She's my other. I just well, die for her. Like she, she came on the podcast and I like cried when I was telling her how much it meant to me that she was there because I she was like on my original bucket list for people to come on the podcast. But she is just like, ugh. <laughs> well, her energy is like perfect. Um, it's just magical, and it's it's. Yeah, it's magical. It's not, it's not like, it's not like it. First of all, her, I've known Jenna for a really long time and I'm so grateful for her because she works as hard and with as much tenderness and generosity and just, she's like one of the kindest people Mm. I know. And I don't know, like we have this relationship where we just send each other voice memos all the time. Oh my gosh. And and like it's my favorite thing where I can hear her feet, like when she's like walking, and I can just hear like her footfalls, and just like hey, I even have a crush on your footfalls. Yes. But like you know, she's she's a unbelievable person and such a nerd. Mm. Like she knows, like the one what, the thing that I admire most in people, I think, is when they are so willing to learn. Mm. And they're so passionate and avid and like just the most like the, the the humility that's required to be of a certain like admirable status or like a known thing or whatever. And then to constantly put yourself in the position of learning from other people mm-hmm. like that is just I just love that. I want that kind of ego death and like to watch her like, you know. 
just like learn about like Reiki and like sound healing. And mm-hmm. then just like, and then I just am treated to her brain and like her and Kimberly's brain and black futures, oh not God. only their individual brains, but they're like Collective. synergistic, yes. like unbelievable. Like, can I be a fly on the wall? Just like, I love, I love you loving each other. I love mm-hmm. you. Love you. Love you. Like that is because they're like, I just look at that book and I'm just like, oh my God, LOL, this is so you. Or like, this detail is so you. Or like, this is exactly your brain. Ugh, that book is just so magical. When we, when I had them on the podcast, I was just sitting there watching them talk about each other and about their work. And I just was like, swoon, swoon, swoon. Well, because when they talk about each other, like their eyes just light up yes. and you're like, hi, can I be in this throuple? Yes. Happening? Like, how can I be, <laughs> how can I get involved in this relationship in yes, any totally. meaningful way? Oh my totally. gosh. Okay. Wait, we have to talk more about you and your process because this is the important, this is the most important question that I ask everybody on the show, which is how do you like to write? Where are you? How often are you doing it? Are there snacks and beverages or rituals? Is there music? Like set up how Mary creates her work. Okay. Um, <laughs> I know about myself that I can only do two and a half to three hours of writing a day. Okay. Like I just have to accept that I can sit there for eight hours, but that's just going to make me super, super sad for five (laughs) and it's going to make me feel like a failure. That's just the way it is. And I am, I've historically written in the morning, uh, but lately I've been writing at night because I'm working on a feature length um, screenplay adaptation for um, permanent record. But I don't have any like rituals. I don't eat because once I start eating, I'm going to be like, mm, I like eating better. And then it would just be like me eating. Um, yeah. And, but I do, I do like have a cup of tea. I am not a caffeine drinker because it just makes me think I'm like really good at writing, mm. but it's not. What it's kind not. of tea and how do you prepare it? Like, is there I sugar drink, or milk? I drink berries, Irish decaf, and then I add one or two crushed cardamom pods oh. and then I feel super fancy. That's the fanciest yeah. shit I've ever heard. Okay. And then I add almond milk, um, the most problematic milk, and <laughs> then I add some stevia and I, I have it in a giant, giant mug. Okay. And I never catch it at the right temperature, but you know, lately I'm learning to forgive myself. Okay. And I also um, forget to drink water. So that's a really important part of the algorithm for me to not get nearly as much water as I need. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then I don't listen to music because music really, I'm very open to it. And so like it, it just changes my thinking. Um, And the other thing too, is that I'm just gentle. I know that if I only write in 45 minute spurts within even those three hours. And like, sometimes that spurt isn't, going to be the spurt and like sometimes a spurt is a just fine spurt but yeah like that you know what it's just I know that writing is always going to feel really embarrassing the Mm. whole time and so (laughs) I do the things that I would for a friend who is like going through a hard time Mm. I'm just like super nice I'm not overbearing I'm not like so how's the novel coming along like I just don't do any like hateful violent things like that (laughs) and um I also just recently bought a real chair. Like I wasn't allowed to have a real chair for a long time because I just never thought I deserved one or something. Or like my whole thing is like beating the system. I'm just like, yeah, you all might need a a lumbar support real thing, but I do not because I don't have a body because I resent having a body. So 
that was really resulting in the most jacked like shoulder and Mm. neck and back pain. And so I just bought a chair and I had to talk to my therapist about it. And I had to ask a lot of other people and I had to go sit in it, which was like scary for COVID reasons, but I had to go sit in it. And that was just what works for me. And I got a desk that um, transforms into a standing desk because, uh, yeah. Do you like it? And um, I really do. I have never stood at it. (laughs) But um, the lowest uh, desk height is like 26 inches and standard desk height is 27. But that's just too high for me. I just don't know what to say about it. (laughs) So this desk is really great for – this standing desk is just – tremendous for sitting right now and that is where I'm at I love this what sort of stuff were you Mary not while you're actually physically writing but what sort of stuff were you reading watching listening to as you were around around the time that you were writing yoke like kind of informing your work if anything I don't that's a lie. I was with, I was about to say that I don't read a lot when I'm writing. That was true of the first two books because I was like too scared that I would like suck some sort of marrow or essence mm-hmm. and like accidentally like gently plagiarize certain aspects of it. But for Yoke, I did read a lot of like very crisp language. Um, you know, like I read um, just like interesting weird books like i finally read like um convenience store women Mm. i read like i read sally rooney just to remind myself of like whether or not i the nice thing about reading both her books is that you do have a first person and a third and so i was kind of like comparing those two for a Mm. while um i was listening to um just a lot of ambient music like I don't I can't really do lyrics because I'm in there and like I'm editing and I'm just like right. why we, why are we doing this <laughs> like um and that's when I'm creating otherwise it's just like whatever's on the radio I'm a, we're a hot 97 family personally okay. okay um but yeah I I read uh Sigrid Nunez's book um not the recent one but the one before and I just read a lot of books about interesting women that I really um whose heads I just wanted to sit in for a while Mm. and yeah because there is just that sort of like I really wanted to just be in that like female essence and like sororal bonds oh I actually reread um Handmaid's Tale which I hadn't I haven't seen it I've only seen the first episode um, and that was amazing, too, where I was just like, oh, my God, I, I don't think I've ever read this outside of like a scholastic mm. sort of um, thing. And that was amazing. And so, yeah, there was just a lot of like talking to and reading about and like watching the way women talk to each other, I think, for that. The other question that is very important to me is what's a word that you can never spell correctly on the first try? Oh, my God. What is it? I sp- spell it wrong every single time and now i have a mental block against it oh i can't spell purgatory oh well i've never and tried that's not to even spell the... that word <laughs> but i know and i wasn't even like <laughs> trying to think of that one but that's always the one i spell mm. incorrectly and um no it's not irrevocable it's like another one that has a lot of r's and i always irresponsible no, it's like it, it comes up more often. I'll think about it. Okay, if you think about it, let me know. Yeah. I just am obsessed totally. with that because 
it dawned on me one day that maybe people who write books that I love also are terrible spellers. And I, I love the question now because I get so many different answers that like range from Jenna's was apothecary and I was like only you that is so her yeah totally <laughs> but then well, someone else I think like Jason's was like restaurant and I was like wow that's a word I can actually spell that's like one of the five words I can spell <laughs> another friend of mine who's a photographer she can't spell restaurant either and it's so funny because we were, we were talking about this she's like she's like r E, and then she was like, this is where I get confused. I was like, you get confused early in that yeah. word. She's like, I know. <laughs> I feel like the first four letters work for me. I can understand maybe the U, but I just have, I cannot spell basically any word. And so I just love, usually someone will say the word and I'm like, yeah, no, I can't spell that either. But everyone, someone did tomorrow and I was like, I can spell tomorrow. Like I am a genius. Thank you. <laughs> well, also like there's that thing of the people who are like inside people who like read a lot versus interface with meat actual meat space people is I'd, I've read so many words that I don't super know how they're pronounced. Yes. And so a, a word I read recently, I read it as misled, but it's misled. Oh. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's a different, misled is not a word. This I, this happens too. I saw, I saw some very kind, generous quote that was like, don't make fun of people who mispronounce words. That means that they only know them from reading. And I was like, that was very generous and kind of you to say yeah, to totally. someone. It just means they're super smart. It just means that like, they're a nerd off. and they're genius in your face. Um, yeah. I do want to talk briefly about your podcast, Hey Cool job. Um, it's you talking to people about their work and about life. And it's sort of fun. And fu I mean, it's sort of like what we've been doing today, really. But um, how did that come to you? You've been doing it for a while. And then you took a little time off here and there. It's sort of like when you're when you want to do it, right? Is that totally? <laughs> I mean, the one super joy about podcast is that like, I started mine a long time ago, maybe like six or seven years ago, mm -hmm. like before the gold rush of yes. like people selling their podcast yes. companies for like billions yeah. of dollars. <laughs> and so, you know, it's this funny thing where I have not capitalized on any aspect of it ever. <laughs> I've never done an ad. <laughs> um, I've just it's it's something that, you know, actually it was just a f <laughs> I think it was just a guise under which I can just ask the most invasive mm -hmm, questions mm -hmm. to people I'm already friends with. <laughs> and so <laughs> so you may call it a podcast. I call it just a front You're to be snooping. real, real nosy. Yeah. yeah, totally. And then just like share it with other people. So, you know, it, it's I just, you know, when I started it, I had never written a book. I was really... I think, you know, honestly, I think it came from a place of fear where I knew I wanted to write a book, but I figured that I wouldn't be allowed to or that I would never do it. And so I was really shopping for other vocations that I could convincingly just slide into. And so it's called Hey, Cool Job, but it's more actually like, hey, do you have my job? And if I behead you, can I just have that job? Um, and so it, it happened a long time ago. It's I took to say that I took a break almost makes it sound like I didn't take so many breaks. I'm currently in a break. We're always in a break. And yeah, I only do it when I want to, which is really not very nice to subscribers. And I apologize, but I hope it can be felt that whenever I do do one, it is totally out of joy and curiosity and has nothing to do with like commodification. Not that there's anything wrong with it, because the only reason there's no ads is because I do not have the wherewithal 
to do it. Yeah, <laughs> to, to like get, figure out how to do that. Ex- yeah, I, I just, I just cannot. I relate. I have the artist brain, not the like business brain. Unfortunately, I, I wish know. that I did. And I would, I would super gladly, but then it would be a whole thing where I'm just like, I would do like. I don't know. Do you make like nice eggs? I'll do that. Or like, but other than that, I'm just like, I don't know. It feels weird. Yeah, I just love it. I I love the conversational, you know, element to it. I I love podcasts like that. And I have been a long time podcast listener. I started listening to podcasts um, ten years ago now, and wow. I it was I only listened to one, and I still listen to that show ten years later. Which is it's a, what show? It's the Tony Kornheiser show. Do you know who he is? Um, no. Do you know that show on ESPN? It's called PTI. Pardon the interruption. Yes. Okay. So the faces and the yes. thing. Yes. That format is the best format yes. of like talking head show. So I've they ever seen. invented that. That show was invented like by them in I don't know two thousand one or something. I think it started right before after um nine eleven, like their first season. But anyways, uh, Tony is the white guy on that show, and he was a Washington Post um writer for years and years and he's a journalist and he was and will bond they work together at the post and they used to talk shit to each other all the time in person and they basically like someone heard them and was like this should be a tv show and that's how it came to be but tony has a podcast and it used to be like my favorite thing and now i like sort of hate listen to it because he's gotten like really white and like old and it's like he becomes to he's like 75 now and he's like yeah you know doesn't want to talk about politics anymore and like all this stuff but I just, it became a thing that I listened to when I was dating my now husband. We first started dating. He lived in the Bronx and I lived in the financial district, which as you oh know, God, is a very long far. distance relationship. Yes. <laughs> and so totally. I would listen to this two hour daily podcast every day when I would go like back and forth to each other's places. And it just became like part of our lives. And so we both listened to it separately still, but we both listened to it. So weird. Well, it's it's why I have such a love for the audio art, like mm-hmm. Jesus and Miro's like, Bodega Boys podcast, so because like it's so good, it's so rambly, and it's always been, and it's the and they're just so they're so good. Like I have never, and like you know, I've been on their show twice, and like I you know, I'm friendly with Miro, and I've just never met anyone who. Like, they're so just naturally good. Mm-hmm. It's maddening. It's crazy. And so, it's so crazy. And so, I also love a podcast because, you know, if I wasn't listening to a podcast, I would probably just have like noise canceling, like, earbuds <laughs> and be like, oh, I can't hear you. <laughs> yeah. I can't hear anything. Yeah. No, they, they're so good. Their chemistry is insane. They also came on this show and they were so great and so nice. And I, they were so much. I just thought they were going to be jerks maybe because they're so great on TV. And they ended up being like truly the greatest, kindest, most lovely humans. And also the most like actualized and evolved and wonderful and genuinely funny. And like I and sensitive and like sex positive and just just positive, positive and supportive. And such good energy. And like they're just good energy. They're just so welcoming and stuff. I just was surprised. You know what it feels like? It's like and I feel like this is true of all the people that we have a crush on. (laughs) You and I as a conjoined (laughs) one singular unit. (laughs) Like anyone who feels like they're doing something that they really love and that they're just stoked and pumped Mm -hmm. like i have a crush on you yeah people who are people who are enthusiastic about what they're doing and like i love negativity in a certain way but i love people who are positive about what they're passionate about i love criticism like i love people who are critical and can be negative but like people who are just haters i'm like i hate like that 
irks me so bad. But people, yeah, it's just like, what, like, why are you talking shit about that? Like, what are, what are you putting out? Like, what are you creating? Who are you? But people who can like, like, I feel like these and Mero are such a good example. They clearly love what they do. They clearly have a passion for one another and for their brains and like what they're able to create and do. But they also can talk shit with the best of them. And like, I love oh that. Oh my God. I love that. But that's the thing. It's like, I feel like haters who are just like on that, like, I hate, I hate, I hate. It's just like this like weird, like almost monoculture of just like this one note, really dull, lacking in any sort of like in imagination like or creativity yeah anything. it's like so bland and, so, and so people who are like incisive and acerbic and just so quick i mean that's the other thing like yes. they're so quick oh my god <laughs> like when they're when they apply that brain and they never punch down Mm-mm. and they punch so up mm-hmm. and then even use that brain to be like complimentary or loving like what mm-hmm. feels better than that nothing nothing no they're like freaking Ugh, oh my god geniuses we definitely have all the same crushes <laughs> I, there, lo- I mean I and we're it. so lucky to even like exist in this particular version of the multiverse that yeah we can just appreciate it oh it's so true okay we're gonna we have to wrap up we've like gone so okay. long but you know i know we're, sh- we're just hanging out now <laughs> we're gonna have to start our own podcast where we just talk about the people we have crushes on like every yeah, like totally. once a month we just get together and be like who are you obsessed with this month let me tell you and they can come on the show and we can just embarrass them oh my god i know that i feel i get so embarrassed because of the way that i talk about jason that i'm like one day when I see him again in person, like when this pandemic is over, I'm going to be, I'm going to just turn beet red the moment I see him. Cause I'm going to be like, I've been talking about how in love with you I am for over a year now. And doesn't show any signs of stopping either so well then also inconveniently he keeps doing like more amazing yeah, things and like, so like the stockpile of just like it's just aggregate i'm like can you maybe fuck up a little bit so that the rest of us can like get over you because right now it's getting uncomfortable um <laughs> but you know it's fine my husband also is in love with him so it's like we're all it's a family thing and now i have yeah, children totally. who i'm gonna train to be in love with him too like i'm gonna be like oh there's uncle jason jason's gonna be like they're not their uncle like i don't know you guys <laughs> like, well, yes you do, yes, you will, do. Like, you're like you know us because we have crushes on you you know us because we love you that's all you need to know um yeah. okay so for people who love yoke who read it who love it or anything else that you've written i guess but specifically yoke what would you recommend to them to read like something else in conversation with what you've done Ooh, um probably the essay that i've written about my mom and how much I love her. It's called My Foreign Mom. Um, And I just want to clarify that you asked me about things that they should read that I have written, right? Not just other people. Things that other people have written too. I just meant anything. If people who love you, Mary, as a writer, what are some other things that you might suggest to them? So it doesn't have to be from you, but it could be from anyone. Okay, that was really funny because I thought it was I was about to just name like three things that I've written and that that would have looked <laughs> the optics would have been so bad. I'm just like, what should people read? I'm like, they should only read me. Yes. Um. No, like what other people should read. Like, I think that there is, you know, actually, and there's books that I really love that I don't even know if it's like in conversation with me necessarily. I. That's a really good question. It probably is if you if it comes to mind. A lot of people do. You can do things that aren't necessarily like even in the same world, but just things that you feel like maybe have the same spirit or the same feeling or you think 
of in relationship to your work? Like it could be, it's a very broad, open question. It's sort of like, what books do you love? <laughs> I think is the real question. <laughs> I mean, I love, I love all kinds of books. I like really quiet, small books. Like I'm reading a book right now called The Housekeeper and the Professor mm-hmm. by um, Yoko Ogawa. And she also wrote um, Memory Police. Okay. And this particular book is, it's like shorter. It's like a novella length. And I don't know why it's like, it's just like a little world that you just want to be in. It's like a teacup world. And I kind of really feel that, that way about my stories and in, in that it's just like, here's a pocket of time. And I don't know, that is what's coming up to my, I'm like basically fighting not to say like Sally Rooney. Mm-hmm. That's okay. You could because, say that. Because, yeah. And I think it's just true. Like it would be a lie to to say that I wasn't absolutely just obsessed with her books and even her show and the way that carries. And, and yeah, I mean, I think that those are the books that I love the most, like books that just are such an intense feeling of like a very short, pivotal time in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. Amazing. Okay. And then this is the last question. If you could have one person dead or alive, read Yoke, who would you want it to be? I think dead or alive, it's Judy Bloom. Okay. Great. Like, for sure. Like, I don't know. <laughs> she's just amazing in what she signifies for me and, like, growing up. And it wasn't even necessarily that I, like, I saw myself in her books because, you know, I am not, like, a young Jewish girl <laughs> finding themselves. It's like, but I don't know. There was just those books for me when I was a child and feeling so lonely And at the time, I think I was like living in Hong Kong and there was very limited like English speaking content, Hmm. like television or anything like that. Um, Obviously, we had access to books. And so I was just reading a lot of those books. And it just really gave me so much identification and reassurance that the feelings that I were feeling were not only like valid and actually happening, but really universal. And so I think... I don't know. The first answer that came to mind was definitely Judy Bloom. I love that so much. Um, everybody at home, this is Mary, very HK Choi. Her newest book, Yoke, is out in the world now. I highly recommend it if you want to feel the warm bath of the book that I experienced. And if you love crushes and snacks and New York and family And if you love your siblings, oh my God, if you have siblings that you love, or maybe even if you have siblings that you don't love that much, you'll, I think this book is just, it touches on so many important things. So Mary, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. This was a delight. This was so great. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you all for listening and thank you to Mary for being my guest today. I'd also like to thank Lisa Moraleda and Chantel Gersh for helping coordinate this interview. Remember, the Stacks Book Club pick for March is Everybody Looking by Candice Elo, and we will discuss the book with Nick Stone on Wednesday, March 31st. Please make sure you're subscribed to the Stacks wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from the Stacks, follow us on social media at the Stacks Pod on Instagram and at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Sebastian Alcala is our sound editor and producer. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite. And our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. <laughs>